Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, I want to start off by sharing with you the story of a guy named William. His name was actually William Dix, and he was an insurance salesman, young guy. He was in his early 20s working for a firm in Glasgow, Scotland, though his heart really wasn't in the job. It, it truly wasn't. His heart was in worship, helping people worship God. And his, the poetry that he wrote was kind of an outlet for that. Now, William fell seriously ill at the age of 25, and he was bedridden. He was so close to death that it had a profound impact on his life spiritually. He started spending a lot of time reading his Bible and praying and just trying to make sense of it all. And one day, he was lying in his bed, and he thought about Jesus, the Savior of the world, who also lay in a bed, a, a manger bed, which was really nothing more than a, a cattle trough. And he asked himself in his bed, just what kind of child was he? I mean, if he was Lord, surely he could have at least been uh, born into a clean room in a nice inn. He thought about the people at the manger scene, and he thought, I, I wonder what their thoughts were when they were looking at that baby, did, did, they, did they understand what they were really looking at? So he, he picked up one of his old poems and he rewrote it into a song like this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? And then he decided, this is Christ the King. He put the words to a 300-year-old English tune at the time, a song which instantly became a Christmas hit and still is to this day. And William's question as he laid struggling in that bed is the same question that people from all walks of life have asked for centuries what child is this? I think it's an appropriate question to ask. Many of you in this room today, I, I bet you grew up with faith and you haven't really asked that question for a long time. Still others of you, some of you, maybe this Christianity thing is a little bit foreign to you or a little bit new to you and that question is very much a reasonable one for you today. What child is this? Who is Jesus, really? What is the big deal about this one child born over 2,000 years ago in a manger? Why all the songs, the carols, the focus on one poor baby that lies in a cattle trough? This Christmas season, I want us as a community to pause together and to really ask that question, to consider it. And we'll consider it by looking at Jesus through the eyes of those who were actually there in his young life long, long ago. Starting today with one of the wise men. What child is this? Yes, that is the question. That has always been the question. What child is this? 
that single question was the driving force behind our lengthy journey. We had to figure out what child this is. And I know. My friends, we have been called wise by many of the people we encountered along our journey. If even for a brief moment... I hesitate to give much credence to their judgment, but it is known, or it should be known, that knowledge is acquired by keeping one's eyes open and mouth shut. So, may I suggest that you keep your mouths closed and your ears open, and I will, to the best of my ability, answer your question as clear as I can. One, we did not stumble upon this child. No, we found a needle in a haystack. And how did we find this needle? We followed the star. And I know, know, to many that would be considered a fool's errand. But we are no fools. Now that star was moved by some unseen force. And who moves stars? But God. Two, we encountered that corrupt king. That king wanted us to find the child so that he could worship the child. My friends, do kings worship babies? No. No, kings defend their thrones. And that king, that king, that Herod is a ruthless and cruel despot. It does not take a wise man to discern that. And that king felt that this child was a threat. Well, mark my words. That child is a threat to all who are cruel and ruthless. And three... You know, I I don't even have words for three. My entire life, I've searched. And yet, it was always just beyond the horizon of my knowing. Until, in an instant, I crossed a threshold. And there it was. That father... That mother, that star, the child, it was all there. All my searching, all my studying, it was all right there, all in that child. How could I not worship him? Friends, I need search no more. Matthew chapter 2. Listen to God's word. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. These wise men from another part of the world, traveling for days, maybe weeks, through an arid desert to bring gifts and and worship a baby born in a cattle trough. Does that seem a little bit odd to you? We know very little about these wise men. Usually they're depicted as three. There was a time in early, early on in Christian history when it was written that it was probably 12. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. These days, I think we just narrowed it down to three because it's simpler. There are three gifts. There must have been three wise men. They could only carry one thing at a time. They're guys, right? Um, they're often depicted like kings, which is doubtful. But again, we, we don't know. More, li- more than likely, they were royal servants. They were stargazers. And it says in this scripture that they were from eastern lands, right? Now, we don't know where in the east they were from. Uh, there are places uh, in history that, um, back in that time that says it perhaps was per- the Persian Empire that they were from, where the Jews had been for a period of time. But there are a lot of writings back in the 2nd and the 3rd century that say that they were from a place, uh, the, the general area known as Arabia at that time. There was uh, early church fathers like Justin Martyr from the 2nd century and Tertullian and the first pope to follow Peter, uh, Clement of Rome, Um, from the first century, they all wrote that these wise men were from Arabia. Either way, though, wherever they were from, it was a long journey, a journey that would have taken them, uh, either whether on camel or on foot, a long time. Hundreds of miles they would have traveled. Now, based on verse 11, the wise men arrived after the birth and after the manger scene. That means that the star never stopped over the manger scene either. Justin Martyr and others wrote that uh, Jesus was, was born in a cave, uh, not a, in a wood stable with three walls. So I'm sorry, but your manger scenes at home, they are all messed up. <laughs> well, let's finish this story. Verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, And he learned from the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, I won't take a lot of time. I won't really take much time to get into Herod today. We're going to look next weekend at him and his life and how he saw Jesus. That's quite a story in itself. But let's keep going in verse 9. It says, After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And in verse 11, it says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Isn't it interesting how a star in the sky, probably millions of miles away, could guide them to this little corner of the world? I mean, think about it. How, how did it stop, as verse 9 said, over Mary and Joseph's home? Is it, was it moving through space somehow? I don't know. There's no way to tell. But the most important thing in this story, in my opinion... It's found in verse 11. It says, They entered Mary and Joseph's home. They saw Jesus. And they worshipped him. Imagine it. Maybe Jesus was still a baby. Most, most scholars say that Jesus was probably still a toddler, one, maybe two years old at the most. But I can just see it. You know, Mary, she's off in the kitchen. She's perhaps getting a meal ready. Jesus is crawling along on a dirt floor, maybe crying. Mary's perhaps trying to appease him. We don't know where Joseph is. Joseph's absent in this picture. Maybe he's at work at this point during the day. We have no idea. But, but these strange men, they want to come, they knock on the door and they want to come in and give presents and worship this baby crawling on the floor. I see, when, as I study the scriptures, what I have found here is there's no, this is, it looks like this is the first place in Jesus' young life where he is actually worshipped. What do you think the wise men must have been thinking in this moment? After traveling so far, seeing this baby crawling around the floor, and they start to worship it. What, would, what, what do you think Mary thought as a mom, seeing this thing happen in front of her? I mean, how often, how often do you get a knock on the door and there are wise people standing outside, or they say they're wise, and they've got gifts in their hands and they want to come in to your house to give your baby presents and to worship it? I mean, how many of you would be up for that idea? Think about it. How many of you would slam the door shut and call the cops? Right? These men of power and of means and intellect came from afar to worship and give homage to a baby. A baby born to a poor, non-royal, likely teenage girl. Yet these wise men saw Jesus as a king to be worshipped. Yeah, a king to be worshipped. They had found their way to this house and they were overwhelmed by the presence of this one they had been searching for and they worship him. Now, this might come as a surprise to others around that day or it might have at that time, but the truth is, guys, we all worship something or someone. We're creatures of worship. We're, we're kind of designed that way. We're funny that way. There's a dictionary definition of worship I want to give you this morning. This is what worship is defined as. Worship is defined as an extravagant act 
or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. Think about that for a minute. Is it just crazy or, or is it just me? But think about all the people over the centuries that human beings have worshipped. I mean, in your, in your online sermon notes today at mygrace.church, I've got a Wikipedia article there, which is really interesting. It's the list of people who have been considered deities and have been worshipped. And <laughs> it's quite a list, let me tell you, uh, when you look at it. Over through that list, there are a few people you'd expect. There are some pharaohs on the list. There are some emperors. The Do- a few Dalai Lamas are on the list, uh, or all of them. The Buddha is there. But then there are all these others that really make you wonder. I mean, George Washington is on this list. Jim Jones is on this list. Mother Teresa is on this list. Mother Teresa was a Christian missionary, but she is worshipped today as a Hindu goddess. Think about that one for a minute. Haley Selassie. He was once seen by the Rastafarians as Jesus returned to earth. And then there's British Prince Philip who was worshipped for a long time by a village in Vanuatu. And a couple of my personal favorites, a woman in the 1940s named Mita, and another woman named Nimrala on the right-hand side there in the 1970s, who were both thought to be the incarnation of the Holy Spirit on the earth. Now, (laughs) we laugh, but look at that definition again. What did we say worship is? Extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. Based on that definition, I think it's fair to say that many in America worship sports. Many diehards put that before worshiping God on a weekend. There are football and soccer stadiums all over the world today that people have spent a half billion to over a billion dollars on to gather together and to shout the praises of these guys running around in these uniforms. Some of us worship the past, wanting it back more than what God has put before us. Others worship their stuff, though we don't care to admit it. And we're devoted to more and to bigger and to newer and to better. And still others, they worship gaming or technology, constantly allowing their relationships to suffer with others and with God. We are such creatures of worship. All of us are. I I don't know if this would surprise you, but there's a nonprofit religious organization right now working toward the creation of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence. Did you, know, did you see this in the news just a few days ago? Elon Musk, who is uh, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, he just spoke out about, against this just a few days ago. Experts predict that AI will be better than humans at most all tasks in about 45 years. And once that happens, this nonprofit organization believes that there is every chance that some of us will look to AI for guidance, trust the advice it offers, and even be willing to worship it. Vince Lynch, who is one of the men behind this project today, wrote this just recently. He actually spoke this in a conference. He said, teaching humans about religious education is similar to the way to teach knowledge to machines. 
The concept of teaching machine to learn isn't so different from the concept of a holy trinity or a being achieving enlightenment. It almost sounds ancient, Old Testament-like to me. Like those who used to create idols out of gold, clay, and stone to worship it. That's what we're coming to. Human beings, we are designed. We can't help ourselves. We have to worship something or someone. Something we see is better than ourselves. Something that grabs our hearts, our admiration, our attention. And we will worship it. The truth is, we are all worshipers. Someone or something will captivate us and receive our love and our energies. It could be the God that we have come to know in the Bible, or it could be a house or a person or food or pets or hobbies, but there will be something. There will be someone we prioritize over worshiping God. And functionally speaking, if we do that, that is our God. So, what child is this? The wise men saw Jesus as a king to be worshipped. They chose to worship the one who they truly believed was worthy of that worship, and they sacrificed a lot to do so. How about you? How do you see Jesus? Do you, do you see Jesus the same way as the wise men did? Do you respond to him like that in your life? If not, why not? What holds you back? Maybe, maybe you're just not quite sure today that he is God and he, that he exists and, and that he's worthy of your worship. But I bet, that, I bet if you knew that he was, I bet if you knew that he exists, you would choose to also. You choose to worship him. So what would it look like for you, if that is you, to take the time this Christmas season and to figure that question out for yourself, to truly wrestle with it and to come to an answer. Because as we learn today, you're going to give something that worship, right? We at Grace have come to understand that there is only one person, only one who, that is worthy of a person's worship. And it isn't created things or people. We believe that there is nothing that is created that is worthy of that. It's cre- it, that is reserved for the creator of all himself. The one without whom we couldn't even breathe or exist. We worship Christ as the wise men first did because we know from the Bible that he separated himself and came to earth encased in a human body out of his love for us. We know that He gave his life up on a cross and conquered death as he sacrificed his very life for our sins. And we know now that his love compels us to surrender our hearts to him in worship. Worship is something that we highly value here at Grace Community. Every week, we choose to separate a part of a Sunday morning to come here to tell God and to remind ourselves that he is the center of our worship. Nothing, no one else can take that place in our lives. Every Sunday morning, every weekend when we walk through these doors, hopefully we remind ourselves that we're here to give our best to God and remind ourselves where we fit in the scope of this universe. That there's a God out there 
that created us and loves us far more than we can comprehend or understand. And we come to give him our worship because he's worthy of it. Nothing, no one else can have that place in our lives. We choose here at Grace Community to have different people, uh, different leaders from our community here on stage each weekend to lead us in worship, to help us to fully experience worship ourselves, not to perform for us, but to help guide us to worship God ourselves. We've come here every Sunday morning to give God our very best, offering gifts like the wise men did, our, our tithes and our offerings. We come to serve him. And many of us serve here on Sunday mornings. We, we come to a service and then we're serving in children's ministry or in student ministry or serving coffee in the kitchen because we're coming with glad and thankful hearts to give back to others just as God has given to us. We, we come here with hearts eager to sing, to proclaim the words that we sing, not only who, as we sing it, not only who God is in our lives, but why he is worthy of our worship. You know, worship is something that has always been on my wife's heart. If you know my wife well, you know that that has always been deeply a part of who she is. And it's something that God started stirring in her a few months ago as she decided she wanted to start having a worship night the second Saturday night of each month here at Grace Community for those who wanted to come. We haven't highly publicized it. We haven't made a big deal out of it, partly because she wasn't really interested in that. But she wanted people who were hungry for worship to know that it was here and to know that each one of you, you have a space from 6 to 7 p.m. on the second Saturday night of each month to just come here, to find a place in this room, to stand, to kneel, to sit, whatever you want to do, to walk around and, and to worship God. And in those moments, you know, the, this room is very dimly lit. Uh, we're not here to eat food, although we do that on Sunday mornings. We're not here, you, you won't hear a teaching that night. You won't see people on the stage worship, leading you in worship. You'll see a big screen playing with songs of worship and prayers that just roll for 60 minutes. And it is an amazing experience. You wouldn't believe it. But you have to experience it for yourself. I came here one week because I had a Sunday off, and I thought, well, I don't have to prepare a message, so I'm, I'm going to just come to support my wife. And I was weeping in a corner here, just overwhelmed by what God was doing in my life. And I see others doing that here as well. So... Uh, this, this Saturday night, there will be another one, and it will be Christmas worship. So if there's this space that you want to create this Christmas season to just be with Jesus and to just give him an hour of your very best without having to worry about anyone else looking at you, um, worrying about what anyone else is thinking, but to just give God your heart, I would encourage you. Mark, mark your phones right now, 6 o'clock Saturday night, and join us here to worship God. Jesus is the child who was born to be worshipped by all people of all nations for all times. It's what the wise men experienced. And it's part of the answer to the question that the carol asks. What child is this? Some really don't want to worship Jesus today. He's a bother, an inconvenience, an impediment on the path of getting what some want in this life. That's okay. 
That was the case with Herod, as we're going to see next week. But Jesus is the one who is worthy of worship by all people, of all places, and all races. He is the one true Savior of the entire world who is worth being sought out and worshipped. The wise men were the first to worship Jesus. They wouldn't be the last. So may we do as the wise men once did. May we seek Him. May we bow before Him. And may we worship Him and give Him the gifts of our lives as we go and tell others about Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we are here to give you our very best. We are here, Lord, pausing from the busyness of our week to remind ourselves, to center ourselves on the reality that you are the most important thing in our lives. Lord, every week we pause and we do this very thing because we know that you're worthy of it. Lord, it's so easy for us, each one of us, to get so caught up in ourselves and in our own lives that we forget that we were created to worship. God, this Christmas season, would you open that door big and wide for us? Help us to experience worship as never before, before you. Help us, Lord, by starting to help us realize who you truly are, the gravity of who you are, that you aren't just some other person, somebody that comes alongside us, God, but you, you are awesome and holy and reverent. And Lord, as we look out at a night sky and we see the stars, we recognize that every one of them were flung into place by your hand billions of years ago. Lord, it's, it's too great for us to comprehend. Lord, as we spend this season asking this question, who are you? May we find the answer. Lord, this morning, we center our time, we focus our time here at this communion table. And for many of us in this room, we're familiar with this, uh, with this tradition, this sacrament that we practice together where we pass bread around and we pass a cup of juice around. And in those moments, we remind ourselves that we're not just here to, to chew on a piece of bread or drink a little sip of juice, but we're here to remind ourselves that that baby born in a manger lived a life that culminated on a cross Lord, may we experience that reality today as well. That you have given everything for us. If you're here today and you are wrestling with faith, I want to just encourage you today. You have found a place of grace here. A place where we're not going to judge you or try to make you fit into some mold. God doesn't even expect that of you. But we hope to introduce you to the one that we have discovered, as the wise men once discovered, as one worthy of worship. We want to encourage you today, this week, 
to reach out and allow us to help you to find him yourself. Grab me in the breezeway even as you leave today if that's put God, what God's putting on your heart. And let's have a conversation together about who Jesus really is and what he wants for you. In Jesus' name.